Hey, what's going on? This is Bill Burr from the All Things Comedy Network. I am very excited to tell you that we are going to be releasing a stand-up special from the unbelievably talented, unbelievably hilarious, and unbelievably original Ted Alexandro. He has a new stand-up special called Senior Class of Earth. You can check it out exclusively at atcspecials.com and follow the All Things Comedy Network for more ways to support your favorite comedians. This is huge for us. This is everything that All Things Comedy was about. We wanted to get in business with great artists and help them to maintain control and ownership of what they created. And this is our first foray into that. Once again, it's called Senior Class of Earth from the great Ted Alexandro. You can check it out at atcspecials.com. Oh, 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 oh. Welcome back to the gentleman. Go, Go. Yeah. We're not really hitting it in sequence. No. No. We're not in sequence. The effort. Yeah. Yeah, hi. Today, we're super excited because we got... Oh, my gosh. uh, Last week's Marina... Marina Zenovich from the Robin Williams movie. She was great. Documentary. Uh, Uh, This was something that uh, this author you were very excited about. Yes. Very excited about... Because this was your this was your baby. This is uh, I'm super yes. excited about this. I'll give you kudos for actually getting this one done. Kudos. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you yeah. want to want to set this up? Yeah. Um, if you uh, like Bruce Lee. <laughs> By the way, this is kind of crazy because you told me this, and I I guess I didn't really know this. Uh, there really was no other book about Bruce Lee out. I mean, this was kind of the first. Yeah, there's been no like that's surprising to me. Real official, you know, there's been some, I guess, shoddy biographies, but not like an official, great, authoritative biography. That's what it says on the. Uh, yeah. Why I, are I, you such a Bruce Lee fan? I think any any guy's a Bruce Lee fan. I yeah. think uh, you know every everybody, especially when you're growing up, you forget like karate is such karate, taekwondo, martial arts is such a part of our society. You know, it's in every strip mall, but you forget that. Just a few years ago, it wasn't because it wasn't until this guy, Bruce Lee. Right. Um, so Bruce Lee, A Life by Matthew Polly. Uh, I read this book. I loved it. It was, I think I got it done in two or three days, probably. It was just such a quick page turner. And as soon as I read it, I was like, I got to have this guy on the show. And he's. Hello. Gonna... Hey, Matthew. There he is. Hey, how's it going? Good, first, good. First of all, uh, we've been very excited about having you for a long, long time, and uh, we want to thank a lot of people who were involved with us getting you on the show, and we're excited to have you. Welcome to another version of a, uh, I guess, a Bruce Lee kind of thing. Uh, welcome to our dojo. The Gentleman's the Dojo. The Gentleman's Dojo, thank Matthew, Matthew. Polly. Great to be on. <laughs> Does not seem <laughs> yeah. impressed. Um, congratulations on this book. I, I you know, it, it's, how did you get involved, first off? Uh, well, the way I got involved was I was basically, uh, you know, one of those skinny, bullied 12-year-olds who was into Bruce Lee. Uh, and then after sort of a life of doing martial arts and writing about martial arts, I found out that no one had ever done a proper biography of Bruce Lee. So I thought that was a, terrible insult to him and i thought i should rectify that i find that shocking how has there never been somebody that's come forward that's taken the time to write a great descriptive biography as yours i think it's uh partly just because in part martial arts is considered a bit lowbrow in the culture Mm -hmm. i often joke if if he'd been like a painter we'd have five biographies about him already 
Um, And I I think part of it's just a little bit of latent racism. You know, he's not white, he's not black, and those are the two things we think about in our culture, and Asians get ignored. And so I think that's part of it as well. Well, it truly is a fascinating book from beginning to end, and you cover it all. The thing I was shocked by... That you know, I just did, I'm a casual fan. I've seen the movies, and uh, you know, I saw the Bruce Lee movie, The Dragon, with Jason Scott Lee a few years ago. It was kind of, kind of fluffy. He had a tough life. He had a tough run. I mean, once he left, you know, and you can go back to his childhood, and you know, he's a street kid or all this stuff. But he actually, you know, kind of grew up in a pretty, you know, pretty healthy family. The father had money, made some good real real estate investments and everything. But once he got to the states. He had a rough life. Yeah, that was the the funny thing about his story is, I mean, Bruce Lee, the dragon, the Bruce Lee story was told from kind of Linda Lee's perspective yep. after he gets to after he gets to America. When he grew up, he had a sort of affluent upbringing. He was a childhood actor. He starred in a couple movies, uh, but then he got into so much trouble. His father sent him to America to sort of straighten him out. Um, so America was sort of Bruce Lee's reform school. And they they stuck him in the hall closet, made him work in a restaurant, doing the worst jobs. He didn't have any money. Uh, He had to struggle for, you know, just just to get by. Uh, And that's why he ended up uh, teaching martial arts, just to make a little coin on the side. Uh, And so, in a way, Bruce Lee's ambition and his drive all come from the fact that he was banished to America to straighten out this troubled teenage kid. What I mean, if he if he had somewhat of a decent upbringing, and or he had it obviously, uh, but if he wasn't such a, a pain in the ass in school, and his father wanted to ship him out for having all these street fights and everything, do you think if he stayed in Hong Kong, things would have turned out differently, or because of his acting pedigree prior to and being a child star, do you think he would have continued on with that in Hong Kong if, you know, if he, he had a different trajectory? Yeah, I mean, he he said of himself that if he'd stayed in Hong Kong, he would have either been knifed to death or thrown in jail. Right. Um, and so he felt that uh, his sort of punkish, trouble-making personality needed a change of scene. Um, on the other hand, you never know how life will treat you. Uh, he might have straightened up and, and been a sort of movie, TV star in Hong Kong all on his own. Mm-hmm. He certainly had all the connections and the background for it, and he was passionate about acting. But he just, you know, in the Hong Kong setting, he couldn't get himself out of trouble. He just he kept getting into fights. It was almost like an addiction. And, and, you know, you always hear these myths or these urban legends of, like, everybody would confront him on set challenge him on a daily basis he'd whoop their ass all this other stuff but he really was legit he was the real deal yeah that's the amazing thing about bruce lee's story and what i tried to do in the book is like not get the myth but also sometimes the critics get it wrong too so there would be people who would come up on set just like you know on the internet you hear them today and be like ah bruce wasn't very good he was just a movie star martial artist and he would legit kick their ass he was the real deal he was a first-rate fighter he got into i don't know maybe a hundred street fights by Mm -hmm. the time he died he was fighting on the sets Uh, i mean i just thought could you imagine if Tom Cruise was fighting stuntmen on the set of Mission Impossible? <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, yeah. 
I mean, the insurance companies would flip their lid. But here's Bruce Lee on Enter the Dragon, the biggest movie of his life, and he had at least three or four legit uh, challenge matches with stunt guys who came up to him and said, you, you're not so good. So uh, he was a real fighter. He was a real deal. Was he the best that ever lived? Maybe not. But he was certainly one of the very best of his era. The one guy that kind of... Doesn't it, it, he gives some credit, but not the kudos? I think that that everybody else did. is judo. Gene LaBelle, would you agree that he yeah. kind of walks back on on Bruce being as tough as he as he is? He seems to be one of the only guys. That's true. Well, what I think it is is I I, I interviewed judo Gene LaBelle. He's a great guy, but he's an old pro wrestler. Yeah, um, and he, he knows how to play the heel to get the crowd revved up. <laughs> and so, okay. <laughs> And so I think the once he said, like, Ronda Rousey could kick Bruce Lee's ass just to, like, you know, provoke controversy. Uh, and so that's the thing with judo. I think um, he, he believed Bruce was very good, but a lot of those, you know, white boy martial artists from that era looked at Bruce at 5'7", 135, and they thought to themselves, you know, I think I could take this guy. Um, and that's pretty common in the martial arts. There's, there's no elite martial artist who doesn't think he's the best deep in his heart. Um, and so, you know, some of them like Chuck Norris, Joe Lewis, Judo Jean, they're like, Bruce was very good, but I think I was better. Right, um, right. And, and that, that, you know, to me, that's perfectly fine. It doesn't tell us anything except the size of their ego. And you mentioned Chuck Norris. He and Bruce were pretty tight, very respectful of each other from what it comes across in the book. <clears throat> yeah, they genuinely liked each other. Um, Bruce liked quiet guys because he was such a loudmouth, um, and Chuck was like uh, sort of an introverted, somewhat insecure, but very hardworking, dedicated martial artist, and of course, one of the great karate champions of that point fighting era. Yes. Um, and he saw in Bruce sort of a kind of extroverted guy that he could uh, hang out with, and they genuinely liked each other. And Bruce, of course, made Chuck Norris's career. If it weren't for Bruce, we'd never have heard of Chuck Norris. So, uh, you know, Chuck's friendship with Bruce um, was the key to his future. And in a way, some of the other karate stars like Joe Lewis, who fell out with Bruce, never quite made a movie career because of that. So no Bruce Lee, no Texas Walker, Texas Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> so we have Bruce Lee to yeah. thank for that. He has a great cultural impact in Texas Walker Ranger. <laughs> uh, I want to ask, the one thing that made me howl laughing was, and we'll talk about the trajectory to Enter the Dragon, but but, but the, the, the African-American gentleman that was in the film was apparently having so much sex that... Do you want to explain what happened? What, it, it is so funny to me that this guy is banging nonstop over over there in Asia that he couldn't do this one thing. Do you want to tell him what that was? <laughs> you want me to tell that story? Yeah, okay. yeah. Please. I, it uh, is so goddamn funny. Because we're taking our pants off. <laughs> yeah, exciting. So uh, Jim Kelly was uh, was one of the three stars and co-stars in Enter the Dragon. He's the black and, guy. Uh, He's the black guy in the movie. Yeah, yeah there you go. Exactly. The one who dies first, like yeah. all Hollywood movies. <laughs> uh, um, and so uh, I'll just tell a little background. I was interviewing Paul Heller who was the producer, one of the co-producers on Enter the Dragon, the interview was over, and I was putting my <laughs> tape recorder away, and I say to him, uh, you know, do you have any other stories you'd like to tell? Just kind of throwing it out there. And he goes, well, now that you mention it, Jim Kelly screwed so many people in Hong Kong, his, his testicles blew up. 
<laughs> he had to go to the hospital. And when we had the scene where we're going to hang him, we couldn't use the normal. We had to build a special cargo net because he was in such pain. <laughs> I was like, can I turn my recorder back on? And you say that? <laughs> my God, of all the Hollywood stars, and you've heard all these things, he actually had to have a separate harness built because he was banging so much. That is fucking hilarious I will never me. have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a way to go, you know? Yeah. So. But he had, he had, you know, he comes to the States, and we think of him as the star of this Hollywood movie. You know, you forget that he started off, there was obviously blatant racism. Nobody would, you know, even when he was on the Green Hornet, uh, you know, there, there's times he, people couldn't understand him, whatever, so it, maybe his part's minimized. But he had this kind of, like, friendly rivalry deep deep-seated insecurity perhaps uh being friends with steve mcqueen yeah i think their relationship is one of the most fascinating the thing about bruce is that he the reason why he succeeded but also often was a pain in the neck is that he was just hyper competitive right and he 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 hated to be second best at anything he always wanted to be the leader the guy in charge and the best but Whenever he was trying to get into some field that he didn't know what to do, he would befriend somebody who knew what they were doing. So in Hong Kong, he befriended a guy who was great at Wing Chun, and that's how he became a good martial artist. And in Hollywood, he befriended Steve McQueen, who was the biggest box office star of that era. And he basically studied how Steve McQueen was a star, how he succeeded, and took him as sort of his mentor. But at the same time, he always wanted to outdo McQueen. And so they had this like sibling rivalry between the two of them, because in his mind, being better than Steve McQueen was essentially his life goal. Now, if, if, if not for Bruce Lee, we don't have Walker, Texas Ranger. If not for a hairdresser in Beverly Hills, we might not have Bruce Lee. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the weirdest story. So Jay Sebring uh, died in the Manson murders. He was friends with Sharon Tate. He was over there that night, and he died. Uh, and as a result, no one ever got a chance to interview him about how important he was to Bruce Lee's career. He was the one who discovered Bruce Lee, essentially. He saw him at a karate tournament, and one of uh, Sebring's clients, who got his hair cut by Sebring, uh, was William Dozier, a producer who was looking to do a TV series with an Asian actor as the star. And Sebring mentioned Bruce. They got together, and so it was essentially a Hollywood hairdresser who broke Bruce Lee and made him <laughs> the guy we know today. Unbelievable. You know, as as Bruce, you know, he gets on Green Hornet. He has, uh, there was, oh, God, what's the gentleman's name? He was a writer and a director, and uh, Sterling Sillifant? Ster Sterling, yeah. Sterling seemed to be a real big proponent for Bruce once Bruce is in Hollywood, constantly trying to generate um, ideas and projects for him. He seemed to be a real fan of his. That was Bruce's great skill, is that he was able to charm people. Mm -hmm. um, and he was able to convince these incredibly powerful guys. Sterling Sillifant was like Aaron Sorkin of that time. I mean, right. he had a bunch of TV, TV shows. He won the Oscar. He was a big-time screenwriter, producer, director. And he became one of Bruce's uh, kung fu students. And very quickly, he sort of developed almost a man crush on Bruce. And he would do almost anything to like try to get Bruce into various projects that he was working on, including the, t the movie Marlowe. He just made up an Asian enforcer 
just so Bruce could hang out and teach right. him kung fu and have a part. So that's how Bruce succeeded was not only his uh, talent, but also his charm. Now, now, Bruce, James Coburn, and Sterling worked while Bruce is trying to get anything going. Um, they work on a film. They wrote a film called The Silent Flute, correct? Yeah. And, and had that come out, do you think his career trajectory would be different? Because from what it sounds like in the book, it sounds pretty trippy and, <laughs> and far out. I don't know how it would have been executed, but had that film come to fruition, do you think Bruce's career, would he be who we think he is today? Or would it? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one of the weird things about studying someone's life is any, not only the successes make them the man, but also the failures. Mm -hmm. And if it weren't for the failure of the silent flute, he wouldn't have gone to Hong Kong and made those first three movies that then lead to Enter the Dragon and then, you know, results in his death, which makes him instantly iconic. I think, uh, who knows if the silent flute would have been good. It's a trippy, wild, uh, crazy screenplay. Um, I, if it had totally bombed, maybe it would have stayed the same. I think it would have done well enough that he would have had a very different career and would have started making films in Hollywood and never would have gone back to Hong Kong and might never died at the age of 32. So, right. you know, you get into, like, counterfactuals, it's impossible to tell. But I think, you know, another example is uh, he was almost cast on Hawaii Five-0, and he could have had a long sort of TV career, and he would have been a kind of second-tier Asian actor like Key Luke or these other guys that right. you see all the time, but you don't really know who they are. Yeah, uh, you, you mentioned his death, and there's so much speculation, and even in Dragon, the Bruce Lee story with uh, that Linda Lee had, you know, it was based off of her, her, her memoirs, I guess. Um, yeah. It, you know, they, they put in this spiritual kind of... Um, overtone in terms of you know skirting around it and some people think it's pop brownies or whatever but but based on your book it seems like a pretty simple explanation it's just a culmination of bad circumstances do you want to go through why you know the conclusion you came to yeah i mean this is one of the things uh, people ask me like how long did you spend on the book and i said seven years i i could have done it in five if we had known why he died right i spent at least two trying to figure this out People have been covering up what happened. Um, basically, the important part of the day is that he went over to his mistress's apartment, and he died in her bed, and they didn't want to reveal the affair. So they've been trying to cover up exactly what happened that last day, which has led to all these conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. but, the, but the thing that broke it open for me was about four or five months before his death, um, he goes to a doctor and he says i'm sweating profusely on screen they have to wipe me down it's really annoying and a doctor in hong kong proposes that he removes the sweat glands under his armpits um which i'd never heard of before but apparently <laughs> this was fairly common back then right uh, but it, but it meant that his body was less able to deal with heat uh, and then the day he dies july 20th is the hottest of the summer in tropical hong kong and in my interview with Raymond Chow, who was there that last day, he said Bruce was performing a bunch of kung fu moves from his upcoming movie and started to feel tired and dizzy. And they were in a um, studio. That, they were like in an editing bay, right, where the, the AC was not doing so great and he expended yeah, a lot of energy. Yeah, yeah, that's even more right before that. That's important to point out. He collapsed once before his death, about 10 weeks before. 
in a in a in a hot room that they turn the AC off. Uh, and then on the day he dies, it's also extremely hot month in this small apartment. And so I think he died of heat stroke, basically. And it's as simple as that. It happens to lots of young athletic men, football players, etc. They just never thought about it, and no one had for 45 years. And when it came to me, I was like, oh, my God. It was like a light went off. I was like, that totally makes sense. And it's simple. It doesn't involve curses or supernatural or triad gangs. Right. It explains it in a way that's, that feels real. Yeah, because it, it, was, it was almost like there, there was a swelling of the brain, and perhaps it's the pot brownies or a reaction to marijuana, whatever. But, uh, but when you go through it, it's almost like you debunked the JFK conspiracy theory for Asians. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I was like, I saw, I saw Bruce Lee's murder. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do want to ask you this. It, you know, it seemed like he had such a tough road, and he goes overseas to make it big, and then finally he gets his big break with uh, with with Warner Brothers doing Enter the Dragon. By the way, he fought for the name Enter the Dragon. What was the what was the what was it? It was like Blood and Steel. Is that what it was going to be called? Yeah, they started off. Uh, he didn't write the script. They wrote it for him. It's basically a James Bond knockoff. Um, and even Bruce himself didn't think much of the project. He just thought it was a way to get his foot in the door. Um, and they called it Blood and Steel. He wanted to call it Enter the Dragon because his his screen name is Little Dragon. Um, and he wanted to make sure everybody knew he was the star of this movie. Uh, and they hated it. They thought that sounded like a child film or a monster movie. Uh, and so then they proposed Hans Island, and he insisted on Enter the Dragon. And the only reason they Warner Brothers bent is because they knew this was going to be a huge deal. They already had um, two sequels lined up, and Bruce told them, if you don't change it to Enter the Dragon, I won't do the sequels. And so he got them to change the name. And and the film, the, it was originally going to follow the other, like all three main characters, but Bruce kind of... You know, obviously, after they'd seen the footage, he was able to, you know, go all in and, and, for example, do more with the cold open to establish it was his film. That's right. He, in fact, the first opening part of the film before you get to the credits and the title uh, card, that's all Bruce Lee filmed uh, after the crew left and sent oh, it wow. to them. Like, yeah. You you put this in the front of the movie, and the reason why was because he was terrified they were going to make the white character, John Saxon, the star, and turn him into the sidekick once again, and he had every reason to be afraid because the producers had promised John Saxon that he was going to be the star. Right. Uh, and so um, he was terrified they'd take it back to America and recut the movie and make it look like he was the sidekick, and that's why he was doing everything in his power to make sure it looked like Bruce Lee was the star. And then, of course, once they, the, the studio saw what it, he'd produced, then they were like, well, of course, it's his movie. And it seems like that to us today, but at the time, it was still in doubt who was going to star in that movie. That's crazy. Even when he gets the film and, and it's going, all his life, he's been working towards this moment to have Hollywood produce this film. Even when he gets it, it's not everything he wants and dreams for, right? It, it, there's so many elements along the way. Once he gets it, he, he, he doesn't show up for the first three days of filming, correct? That's right. Well, what, he, he was trying to gain control of the film because he was terrified they'd take it away from him and make Saxon the star. And so he was trying to essentially establish dominance and control. So he, was, he, he tried to get the screenwriter fired. He tried to get control of the script. 
He wanted them to make changes, so he looked more like a uh, Shaolin monk and less like James Bond. Uh, and so he had all these worries in his head, and the studio was resisting him. So he he basically boycotted the film for the first twelve days. They couldn't. He wouldn't come on screen while they were negotiating and fighting over this. And basically, the whole screen, the whole experience was one big fight with producers and the studio, et cetera, uh, over the issue of whether or not this was going to be a Bruce Lee movie or not. Had Bruce Lee lived, what do you think his response would have been to Enter the Dragon and its success? I think, yeah, I think he would have been overjoyed that it made him bigger than Steve McQueen. That's <laughs> right, that yeah. Was, I think that was his first concern. Um, he knew by the time he died that it was going to be a big deal. He didn't know how big. He mm-hmm. had no idea that – I don't think he knew it was going to have 20 million uh, Westerners suddenly take up the martial arts. But he he was starting to get uh, offers like million bucks to be in various movie projects. So he knew he was going to be a huge star. Um, but I think he would have just been shocked by the degree to which it changed the culture and all fight choreography and you know the millions of young white kids and black kids and Hispanic kids who suddenly signed up for martial arts because part of what he wanted not only was to be a great star but also. He had a kind of missionary view of spreading the martial arts to the West. Yeah, we forget. I mean, Taekwondo, karate, it's in every strip mall across the country. But prior to Bruce, that was not, that was not the case. He impacted but, us that much, right? That's right. I, I think he, I, I would argue that he, more than any other person alive, introduced more Westerners to Asian culture. And, and specifically the martial arts, there were... You know, it was growing. There were some people who were into it, but there were uh, less than 500 studios, martial arts studios, in the whole Western world before him. And 20 years later, there was nearly 50 million uh, Westerners studying martial arts. So, you know, he had a huge, huge impact on the culture at large. Hey, Matthew, were there people that you wanted to get for the book that you couldn't, that were just unattainable or just wouldn't do the book? Oh, yeah, there always is with books like these. Um, the, and the worst people to try to deal with are celebrities <laughs> because <laughs> they, get, they get asked all the time, and, so, and they have people around them who protect them. So, for example, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was one of his students, um, super nice guy, but his manager, I basically couldn't get past that person. Um, and the same with Jackie Chan, who I wanted to talk to. Um, but other than that, I pretty much got to talk to everybody I wanted to. Who was the biggest uh, kind of uh, fascination you had that you weren't expecting as much out of that person as you got? You were like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Uh, well, um, Sharon Farrell, um, the the woman on Marlowe with whom he had an affair, um, I had I had sort of no idea. No one had ever – she'd never talked publicly about that relationship. Um, and so in the middle of the interview, she's like, you know, Bruce Lee's the best lover I ever had. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I'm sweating over here. So Obviously, you never um, met Jim Kelly. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of competition on the set of Enter the Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> Can we? I, I would love to play a little game with Matthew if we could. I, I wanted to know. I'm going to throw out a name, and uh, you tell me who wins in a street fight. And this is going to be at their prime, okay? So this would be okay. at their prime, not now, okay? So uh, it would be Bruce Lee and uh, Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren? 
uh, yeah. while Dolph is so big. Um, I think Bruce wins just because he's faster. Quicker. Um, yeah. Sorry, did I lose you? No. no, no okay. You're, you're saying Bruce. Yeah, I say, I say Bruce beats Dolph Lundgren because he's so much faster. Dolph Lundgren is a, a huge guy, and that gives him certain advantages, but he's not nearly the martial artist Bruce Lee is. Bruce Lee, Vin Diesel. <laughs> Gary, who, when did, you, did you just write this list? This is horrible. <laughs> can, Vin Diesel, can Vin Diesel actually fight? I think he's just the sort can of Vin Diesel act? tough guy. <laughs> and the final one, uh, Bruce Lee, Roseanne. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Gary. I, I, I give that one to Roseanne. I, I would say so too. I think, I think I think you know she's got multiple personalities that can attack <laughs> from all angles. Well, I, he was a big Ali fan. Um, if they, if those two were in the ring, I think we kind of explored that with Mayweather and McGregor. It, you know, yeah. what what do you think happens in a ring between those two? Yeah, so that's a everybody's debated Ali. He studied Ali. He thought about fighting Ali. If they're in a boxing ring, Bruce Lee gets slaughtered because you know Ali's twice his size and is a professional boxer, and Bruce Lee's a martial artist. And as you said, with Conor McGregor, if the guy who specializes in the thing is the guy who wins. Right. Uh, in a in a street fight, um, I think Bruce has a pos- a chance. Um, because Ali wasn't a street fighter and couldn't fight with anything but his fists. So I think in a street fight, I'd, I still probably lean Ali, but give Bruce Lee a shot. And in the ring, yeah, you put all your money on Ali. Well, you yourself, you're a martial artist. What is, what is your appreciation, especially after having done the book on Bruce, that you take away from it all, that, that, that you got to share with everybody? Yeah, I think uh, as a martial artist, what's amazing to me is how much ahead of his time he was. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he started off in a very traditional system and was able to essentially see the future, which is mixed martial arts. That um, that what people would start doing is picking out the best techniques for them out of various different styles and not care where it came from. And in the past, it was all about who your master was and what the lineage was. Uh, and so Bruce really, in that sense, is sort of the, the spiritual godfather of mixed martial arts. Um, and that's where I think he was most important. Uh, as a fighter itself, he was, he was extremely good. I mean, you can see little flaws in his technique here or there. Um, but he was, he was remarkable um, as far as his speed, timing, and power. Uh, so I think he would have been a very good opponent if he had pursued that instead of acting um, full-time. But, uh, you know, I think his most important thing was his ability to sort of synthesize different styles and create his own, his own thing. Uh, did you yourself ever consider cha-cha lessons? <laughs> you know, that's, I did. I, I took a class in Wing Chun just to see what it was like, but Cha Cha itself, no, I should have. Um, that's the funny thing about Bruce is people think of him as this kung fu guy, but on screen, what he's doing is like a combination of Taekwondo and Cha Cha. Right. Mean, his his kicks have nothing to do with traditional uh, Chinese martial arts, and his whole presence, I think, is deeply influenced by his dancing ability. Just curious, as you mentioned, you said you, you, you took this on and it took seven years for you to do this. On a personal journey level for yourself, what did you gain from this experience after exploring someone else's life in such rich detail and, you know, an icon? 
Uh, well, one, it's, uh, it was a, such a pleasure to uh, be able to re-examine a childhood hero with adult eyes. So you're able to see <clears throat> what their flaws are, but also what their strengths are. <clears throat> but I think the, um, the thing that was most important to me is, uh, for example, we talked about the silent flute and how that project failed, but Bruce Lee never gave up. And that was inspiring to me because, you know, three or four years into this project, I was like, I can't finish. Right, right. (laughs) There's too much information. I'm never going to get this done. The money, the advance money's run out. Um, What am I doing with my life? And, you know, part of what I think is so inspirational about his story is here's this, um, you know, short, skinny Asian guy who lands in America and says, I can be the biggest star on earth. And he does it. Um, and the the moral of the story is sometimes the impossible is possible if you're willing to pay the price. And that, that I think, is uh, a lesson that lives for all of us beyond the martial arts or anything else. What Bruce taught us was you can achieve your dreams if you get lucky and everything works out and you're just insanely ambitious and driven. Bruce Lee in three words. Um, I, I think he was the greatest of his era. That's... That's what I would say. Wow. Well, where can people keep in touch with you, Matthew? Uh, thanks for asking. Uh, they can yeah, reach me at my website, www.mattpolly.com, M-A-T-T-P-O-L-L-Y.com. And I'm also on Facebook, and my Twitter handle is Matthew E. Polly. Uh, and I, I love hearing from fans and people who are into Bruce Lee, uh, so reach out. How has way, been? The, oh, sorry. How has been the response? I, I obviously I, I walked into Barnes and Noble. I saw that on the new releases. I was like, done, got it. So excited. And the minute I read it, I, I finished it in three days. I reached out to Gary. Said, can you get this guy? And thank you so much for doing it. But I assume that you've 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 got to have just gotten a great response from all different walks of life. Yeah, I've been uh, over uh, you know over the moon really delighted because when you you spend so much time alone with the book you lose perspective on it and it's not until it goes out into the world. Um, but I you know being able to talk to you guys and others and fans reaching out and you know being like thank you for finally telling me who Bruce Lee really was uh, that means a lot to me. Yeah, and I saw some pictures online. Uh, Matthew's kind of a badass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't mess with you either. Oh, no. Bruce Lee, Bruce, uh, me versus Bruce Lee, he wins. <laughs> How about you versus Chuck Norris, present-day Chuck Norris? Ooh. <laughs> I'd take that old right-winger. Hello. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> Matthew, thank you so much for joining us in the dojo. We appreciate your time. And it, it's just an amazing book. If you If you are looking for a great book to read, pick this up. It, you really do lift the rocks and unearth a lot of great things. And... And it's like you said, I think it's really inspiring because the guy is just determined from the minute he lands here. So thank you so much for giving us that insight. We really appreciate it, Matthew. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Matthew Polly. There he is right there. Steve, that is that was your Christmas present. That was my Christmas from me to you. There you go. Thank you so much. And the birthday gift that I got you buying you that Wagyu beef didn't get me for your birthday. Uh, Matthew Polly, the Bruce Lee story. Uh, just amazing. I know the minute you picked up that book, you were excited to have yeah. him on. So I was Thank glad you for that he making was able that to happen. Join us. So follow Matthew. Pick up the book, Bruce Lee, um, A Life. Uh, where can they keep in touch with you? Well, by the way, I would like to point out we have two yeah. guests in our studio today. Uh, we have uh, Laurel, who's mm-hmm. from Tampa, and her mom, Wanda. And I got to tell you, you know this. 
This yep. is our gatekeeper that keeps us on track. Yeah. Promotes the shit out of the show. Promotes the shit out of our tour dates. If it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have almost six guys? listeners. Yes. We wouldn't Hi, have guys. almost six listeners, which we do. We're we excited. Now we have eight. Oh, we do. We're bumping up. So uh, they're here visiting. They're uh, heading down to Disneyland and doing some stuff. They're going to come see our show uh, soon. So uh, Lorel and her mom, but uh, we owe her a big shout out because she definitely helps us out so much with our show. So Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, that's our show. The Gentleman's Dojo. Thanks with you. Um, I'm on Twitter at L, that girl, E-L-L-E, that girl. And then, of course, at The Gentleman's Dojo. There it is. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, SteveBurnLive.com for tour dates. Rate, re- review, and subscribe to The Gentleman's Dojo. We appreciate you guys listening. And uh, got a lot of great stuff coming up. A lot of more, lot, lot of wonderful guests we have yeah, on the we docket. Do. So thank yeah, you guys do. for listening. 